Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Today on The Big Show, Emmy Award-winning writer-director Carrie Joji Fukunaga and actor Abraham Atad join us to talk about their coming-of-age jungle drama, Beast of No Nations. Plus, we'll have entertainment news and reviews of the latest films, including Pan, Free Hell, and He Named Me Malala, all on episode 276 of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Now let's start the show. show. Step out of the cold, cold. We come from the cold, cold. Show. Coming up a little later on, uh, next week, 
we will be reviewing on the show and will also be released limited, limited in theaters and I think as well debuting on Netflix is the film Beast of No Nation. Had a chance to see it this week. Can't wait to share my thoughts and opinions on this film uh, next week. But today on the show, uh, both Travis Hobson and I, Travis is a friend of the show, and I had a chance to sit down with the writer-director, Emmy Award winner, Carrie Juji Fuganama, Fuganaga, excuse me, and the star of the film, uh, the, the guy I predict will be this year's Kwabajane Wallace, you know, a little young actor that comes out of nowhere that will captivate and get serious awards attention, and that is none other than Abraham Akka, who is the star of the film Beast of No Nation, or should I say Beast of No Nation. I've been making it singular, but I think it is actually plural. So those two will play that interview uh, coming up a little later on in the show. We will also review uh, the three new movies that are opening in theaters. And for the second week in a row, I have made what I think is a mistake as it relates to uh, movies that are opening just in D.C. versus movies that are opening nationally. Uh, last week we reviewed The Walk because The Walk for audiences that are around the country and markets where the film did open, we reviewed it last week and it opened, you know, nationwide this week. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other movie was. It might have been either The Sicario, The Martian, that we did the same way. But, you know, as we get closer to award season and studios wanting to have films qualify for awards consideration, which basically means that they have to play them, even in limited release for about a week before they uh, they yank them out of theaters or they go straight to DVD or to Netflix like Beast of No Nation. Um, it, it gets confusing sometimes, so we try to navigate and explain to you. Uh, if you miss a review on the show, you're always welcome to go back and listen, you know, go through our archive and listen to older episodes where, for an example, if you didn't get the walk review for the walk that's coming out tomorrow, just go back and listen to last week's show, and at the end, we reviewed it there. So, you know, we'll try to, to work through some of these kind of sticky wickets as it relates to film. Now, coming up in, the, in about a minute, normally we would have uh, my good friend Wilson Morales to talk about entertainment news, but Wilson is at the New York Comic Con right now and uh, was not going to lose his seat. And I can respect that, you know. So in the event that Wilson can't do it, we'll hold it down, which we will do today shortly. And also we'll have a, a, a little small break that I'll just kind of do what I call a film Gordon rant. Whatever, <laughs> whatever I'm thinking of, when we get to that small five-minute section, it'll just be like a little mini rant on my part. So, you know, just preparing you for all that stuff. And so – with that being said, it is now five minutes after the hour, and as I said, generally as a rule, Wilson would be here to talk entertainment news, so since he's not here, I will stand in and rep in, on his behalf today. So this week in entertainment news, uh, several large stories, you know, there are a bunch of different trailers that have debuted. Um, if you didn't get an opportunity to see the final uh, Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 trailer. It is online right now. Just watched that a little earlier. Um, it looks good. I mean, I can't speak for what the film is, but the trailer looks good. Also, I think within the last week, they released the final Spectre trailer for the uh, the James Bond film that's starring Daniel Craig. So if you get an opportunity, you can go online and check both those trailers out. In addition, 
announced that directors Gina Prince, Bikewood, and Sanaa Lathan uh, would be reteaming or reuniting, I should say, on a new TV series for Fox. Uh, her and her husband, Reggie Rock Bikewood, are developing a series for Fox that examines the dangerous aftermath of a police shooting when an African-American cop kills a white teen in Tennessee. Now, this untitled project from 20th Century Fox Television and Image Television will star Lathan, who also worked with Prince Bikewood in both Love and Basketball and Disappearing Act. Now, Lathan will play an expert investigator who digs into the case alongside a special prosecutor to be announced, sent to the town by the Department of Justice. The pair must navigate the media attention, public debate, and the social unrest that comes with such a volatile case as they seek justice before the divided town erupts in a race war. Hmm. Sounds a little like um, <laughs> a bunch of different shows that are on right now, but I was thinking specifically of the the uh, Stephen Ridley show. I'm sorry, John Ridley show, uh, American Crime. It sounds a little like that show. So. Uh, they have no date for when this show will be hitting the airwaves. I'm assuming they're preparing it for the television season of, you know, this time next year. That show will probably, if it gets picked up at the upfront, that's probably when you will see that show. Also in entertainment news this week, Gabrielle Union has signed on to star and executive produce in David E. Talbert's uh, upcoming film, A Myers Christmas. For Universal, Will Packer also will produce on this will produce this film. Uh, Union, who's currently starring in BET's Being Mary Jane, is set to star and produce uh, in this film that centers on an estranged family who was brought together over Christmas for the first time since their mother's passing. Uh, as I said, Packer will produce through his Universal-based Will Packer Productions, while Gabrielle Union is also signed on to executive produce. So. That is supposed to hit theaters on November the 11th. <laughs> wow, about a month away from that. So, um, hmm, interesting. I need to see a trailer because you guys, you guys are just sneaking that one up, sneaking that up on us. This will also be Talbert's first film since Baggage Claim. And depending on Baggage Claim, uh, first Sunday, I'm trying to think of some of the other things that Talbert has done. Good brother. Glad to see him out there with another project. Also this week, Carmen and Jogo has been added to the Harry Potter follow-up, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Carmen Jogo, along with Oscar, Oscar winner John Voight and Gemma Chan are among the latest additions to this spinoff by J.K. Rowling. And in the film, it follows Newt Scamander, played by Eddie Redmayne, the Wizarding World's preeminent nasologist, who in his travels has encountered and documented a myriad of magical creatures ultimately leading to his pinning the Hogwarts school textbook, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Now, of course, if you're asking how does this fit into the Harry Potter universe, this film takes place 70 years before Harry Potter reads his book in his wizarding school. So this is sort of a prequel to the Harry Potter story. So as I said, Carmen and Jogo joins the cast that includes Eddie Redmayne, Catherine Waterson, Allison Sudo, Ezra Miller, and a gang of others, including Colin Farrell. Uh, this film, as I said, has no release date right now, but we'll let you know when we get closer. Also in entertainment news this week, uh, Joe Robert Cole has been hired by Marvel to write the Black Panther screenplay. 
Now, the screenplay for this film, which is going to drop in 2017, uh, stars Chadwick Boseman, uh, has no director yet, but Cole himself comes from Marvel's in-house writing program, where Nicole Perlman, who wrote last year's Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, originated from. Now, Cole is known for his 2011 film, Amber Lake. He also wrote a script for The Inhuman, but word is that his script will not be used for that project. He also had a sex screenplay called The Man Who Had Never Been Kissed, which won the Best Screenplay Award at Urban World Film Fest back in 2006. So he is the man with the plan who will be writing the screenplay for the upcoming Black Panther film. So, which, as, as I said, is coming out in 2017. So we're really, really excited to, to see new talent breaking through uh, and, you know, uh, introducing us to a, the next generation of some of the artists and writers of color that are going to be making some things happen. All right, it is 11 minutes after the hour. That will conclude our entertainment news for this weekend. And all show long, I will be featuring, because, you know, I, I, I used to do this music, and I would get emails or comments from people when I was out and about, uh, you know, about the podcast. And they would talk about, you know, hey, this music has no rhyme, no rhythm. So basically what I've started to do is what I call theme artists. So today uh, the theme artist, of course, will, will continue to be the guy that we're featuring almost all this month. And that is none other than Ninth Wonder, who is an MC and beat maker who, who comes out of North Carolina. His music is so, so funky. So we will be featuring music produced by him all show long. And we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, it'll be time to listen to our interview with uh, writer-director and Emmy Award winner, uh, what is this gentleman's name, Carrie Juji Fukunaga, as well as introduce you guys to Abraham Atah. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back.
to read reviews, listen to interviews, or entertainment news, check us out on thefilmgordon.com or on one of our social media platforms at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, or on our YouTube channel to stay in the know. See entertainment through the eyes at Film Gordon. All right, it is, as I said, 14 minutes after the hour. And as I said a couple of days ago, uh, Travis Hobson, who is a uh, colleague of mine and a friend of this show, and I had the opportunity to not only see Beast of No Nations, but also to sit down with the writer, director, uh, Carrie Juji Fuganaga, as well as the film star, the very young, and making his film debut, the very young, Abraham Atah. Um as a rule, sometimes we go in and we try to edit this stuff down and try to take certain elements out, but I want you really to feel the spirit of what this interview was, so I'm just going to play this thing almost uncut. I think we took about 10 seconds out of this, but I want you to check it out for yourselves and, and see that I, you know, I thought both of these gentlemen, including Fuganaga, are very engaging. Abraham, who a year ago... Uh, was was just a, a teen who was just, you know, interested in playing and going to, to high school, now finds himself under the media glare in a, in, a, in a very interesting film that we will talk a little bit about next week. But here is our interview with Carrie Fuganaga and Abraham Atah. Had an opportunity to see the film uh, last week, um, and, and I can't speak with Travis, but I, you know, and, and you, you've been with me long enough, so you know I'm not just blowing them up by saying this. I really love your work. Oh, I'm you. talking about, like, all the stuff, Sin Nombre, True Detective. This film kind of fits in there. It's it's the sort of story, we'll talk a little bit about the story. We've seen the film, but for the audiences that we're talking to. Um, uh, is it going to be a soundbite, or you want me to just describe it? <laughs> well, both. <laughs> both. Um because the movie's like many things at once. Uh, yeah, I've talked to my friends about it, people you know, that were with me as I was developing it and writing it and then rewriting it. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, in some ways, it could be considered a political film. Um, I, I never would want it labeled as an issue film because I think that scares people away. But it, it deals with real life situations. And even though it's a fictional story, it's uh, it's a very real story uh, for many kids uh, around the world, not just in this, this sort of uh, unnamed West African country. And... Um, at its heart, I think it's a story about a boy who, when you get to the end of the film, is struggling 
to find his place in the world other than you know everything he's been forced to do uh, is he a good or a bad person will he be able to move on with his life and be happy so for me the movie really is about the end versus you know this tale is about sort of thing um, it's it's um, I'm sure it's a it's, it's a coming of age story you know in the most basic sort of genre titling of it but it's I think it's really um, it's um, I had to like boil it down to like a sentence or two I think it would be one kid's um, epic journey of survival uh, in impossible uh, circumstances and at the end, you know, when when he's asked by that aid worker to try to describe what his experiences were like, I think the reason why I, th- I think that's the heart of the film is because it's the first time you see him actually able to place himself in the world, uh, able to 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 come up with a concept that's his own, which is uh, even if it's denying or not wanting to talk about it, it's accepting what he's done and saying, "I just want to be happy in this life." Okay. I don't know if that made any sense. That made a lot of sense. Oh, man, Abraham got a suit on. Wow. <laughs> Too bad they can't see you. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, how you doing? They didn't tell me it was suit today, man. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Travis. <laughs> They're forcing you to wear it. <laughs> it's heavier, John. <laughs> oh, he's wearing a suit too. Look at you guys. You guys look like you're on the best suit presidential like candidate candidate debates. Yeah. Uh, touching on something you ju- you just mentioned, uh, you you said that you didn't like you don't like to call the film a an issue mm-hmm. film. You know, um, is that one reason why you know kind of joining up with Netflix? Uh, could be better for this movie because I agree with you I think this movie would be really hard for people to watch in a theater mm-hmm. I don't know if people would even would, would show up for it or not I'm not so sure but to me it seems like being on Netflix gives it a better opportunity is that something you were considering? well are you talking about because of like the documentaries Netflix has done the I past? I think people like, would be more like, inclined um, I, I think just in general when you when you go into the the world of entertainment and of distraction, you know, and, and wanting to get away from our everyday troubles, the 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 appetite for going to see a film is going to be it's going to ask a lot of the viewer mm-hmm. is uh, is pretty slim. Uh, it doesn't mean that people won't go and see it in, in the cinema, but it's just harder to get people to go. To right. And I think people once they go are happy they did. Right. But I, I'm I could say even from own personal experience, and you know, those those films that I'm like, oh yeah, I have to see that movie. And then you don't you don't end up seeing it until it's a DVD, and then even with the DVD, it sits on your player for how long before you <laughs> yeah. actually watch it? And because you know it's gonna be hard, and you no know, one wants to face like that kind of abuse unless people are into abuse. Right. But um, um, I think the it's, it's less I think that the, the Netflix, the perception of Netflix or is is a more palatable way of watching things. I think it's that had it been an issue film that was like done on a platform release on two or four screens its first weekend and slowly opened up from there and people talked about its issues and it, it would feel like that film that year that was trying to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Now, with Netflix put, sort of positioning it as their first original film that's going out in cinemas, 
it changes the game a little bit because it's not saying, hey, we're an issue film, we want you to see it. It's saying, hey, this is our first film we're putting in cinemas. Yeah. This is the film. We're not we're not labeling it any kind of genre. It's just this is what we've chosen to be our sort of our 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 entree yeah. into that world. So I think it gives it. Um, well, it, it, it sort of eliminates that issue of issue, and and sort of makes the conversation more about yeah, <laughs> Netflix <laughs> uh, kind of uh, uh, upsetting or uh, unsettling uh, the status quo right now. Well, I want to dispel the notion that it's tough to watch, man. I mean, we've seen some films over the last several years. I mean, it's Oscar season, man, and people, I think there's an expectation when you get to this time of year mm. that the subject matter is going to get grittier and yeah. the, the storytelling is going to be more adult. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, of uh, you I know... Guess, I guess the quintessential hard-to-watch film is just a bad film. If you can't watch, if you can't watch, you know what I mean. It's like it's oh no, no, I, I do. Watch, you know? I, I didn't want to call any films out by name because <laughs> you know you might be like, oh, I love that film. But no, I was saying talking about uh, having a bad uh, an abuse. Um, the process before they found you, Abraham, for this role. You, I understand that you, your casting agents went through six hundred kids before they settled on on Abraham. Are you asking me? Yeah. Um, it, well, it was one guy really, a few helpers, um, Harrison Nesbitt. And, you know, it wasn't traditional casting in the sense where you normally would, like, put out advertisements and radio and newspaper, whatever, and try to get people to show up to specific points and, and audition. He, he was actually having to go out and, and look for people and, and engage, you know, strangers on the street with his camera and, 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 and try to get them to um, agree to even try out for the movie, which is... Um, it's hard enough as it, you, know, you can imagine. You know, yeah. Want to be in a movie? I want to get the hell away from it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know how exactly he found uh, or what he saw in Abraham when he when he spotted him, but but um, you know, Abraham could probably tell you more about that. Uh, it was on Friday, and we were in the school playing football on our school field, and a white man was watching us playing football, so he told me us. He wanted boys for a football team, so he came to us and told us to come for audition. And we went for audition after audition before he told us that it was a movie, so he told us to come for... He told you the football game first? No, oh. he was watching us, uh. so he thought it was a football game. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so how's this whole experience been for you then? Because, you know, everybody's first movie is kind of a big deal for them, I imagine. But this is a really, this is a really tough, gritty film. It's more uh, more dramatic, you know, more emotional than most people's first movies tend to be. So how how has this whole experience been for you? Uh, on shooting the movie, or uh, oh, just the experience as a whole. How how are you dealing with it? You know, how how was the whole experience of uh, shooting for you? Was it? Did you well, enjoy it? Did you love it? Yeah, I, I love shooting movies. I love being on set to shoot movies, but I don't like being a jungle. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I heard I heard it, uh, or in an interview that uh, one of the parts that he really didn't like is you had him do a scene in the jungle where there was some snakes and he didn't like that. Well, there wasn't any snakes. There was there. a snake, but it was like <laughs> a deep bush, so I was like afraid that to see any animal in the bush. So yeah. he told me to pass here, I'll pass my own way. The thing was, we kind of like marked out trails for him to walk on, and we had people beat the bush to like to scare out any snakes or anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow he kept veering off our beaten path too. So. <laughs> and he was, you know, in flip flops and shorts, and the bush is like up to your knees. 
You can't even see the ground, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he doesn't like snakes. <laughs> so, this film, I, I've heard a lot of people compare it to what Francis Ford Coppola did with Apocalypse Now. Ironically enough, and, and nobody's probably thought this, when I saw it initially, the first thing I thought of was Boys in the Hood because I thought of the coming of age element and the journey that a character has to go through, starting off with a sense of innocence, and then by the time you get to the, the end point, there's been kind of an epiphany, mm-hmm. a realization. That's funny. I, mean, I hadn't made that that connection yet. I had to go back to I remember when I saw Boys in the Hood when I was younger. Um you know, watching these kids grow up. I guess you know, in Boys in the Hood, it's it's uh, it, you have the one kid who's sort of like the one who's doing well, the dad who's there and kind of you know supervising and making sure he he, he doesn't run the wrong kids in the neighborhood and some of his best friends when he's growing up with sort of battered, forced influences on him. Um, I, I think that what I was trying to show at least for his home life initially that that there was a safety there. Despite whatever you know, economic or political crisis, the strength of the family was carrying him through. And I suppose in both those stories, mm-hmm. that definitely exists. And then the out, it's the outside elements that cause the chaos. Um, and and ultimately, you know, a lot of this film ends. You know, Ray and other ones. You know, it's about that reconstruction of family once the primary family has been sort of eliminated. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think the feeling when you walk away. I remember the feeling after I saw Boys in the Hood and how traumatizing it was. You know. Whole, that whole sequence, you know, uh, especially when the other friend died, you know, mm-hmm. mistakenly. I've, I've uh, heard this was kind of an interesting shoot. Uh, <laughs> you get you got sick or something, right? I had, I got malaria. Um, I think about a week before we started shooting. And Idris almost fell to his death. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was there that day. Yeah, he was funny too. <laughs> I don't remember him falling. That was crazy. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, falls, yeah. he was holding yeah. on of the tree and the yeah. tree got break. He yeah. was going to fall down and hold down another one. Yeah, I think it's the John grabbed him. Yeah, I Yeah. So he didn't fall. So he just could have fallen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it um, seemed like it was a grueling shoot. I mean, was this yeah. was this the toughest shoot you've had? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought True Detective was the toughest shoot I had, and then this eclipsed it. But um, it seems like every move I do just gets harder, not easier. Which that doesn't make sense logically or rationally, but it seems to be the case. You seem to be, but you're up in the stakes in each movie too. It seems like you're up up in the scale of each film. Like yeah. one of the things I really appreciate about your work, and it kind of makes me wonder what your your kind of whole cinematic viewpoint is like where you, you you get your ideas from. Like all your movies seem to tackle issues or, or projects from a you can perspective. I'm not. I don't usually yeah. imagine. Like yeah. you did the only version of Jane Eyre that I care about. Really? Like I've never liked Jane Eyre, but I like your version. You know. So I mean, immigration. Yeah, it's in no I mean, You know. So and True Detective was a. Yeah, I'm not. I don't really like cop movies that much. You know, I love True Detective. So True Detective dating is, is kind of more doesn't really fit in to, to right. kind of everything else I've done. But I, I, and that's kind of my point. Is yeah. nothing you, you're kind of you're hard to pin down, right? You know, yeah. which I which I appreciate. I think I still look at it almost as an as a education. You know, it's like I think these films still is I'm still figuring things out and trying things out and experimenting. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as I can within the confines of still a commercialized industry where you still have you can't. Experiment so much that no one's gonna be able to sell the film. Mm-hmm. But um, 
you know, and and all the all that all that work hopefully helps me get better at what I'm doing. You know, it's a honing of the craft, I guess. So each film, sort of like for me, is is sort of focusing on one element. Like I actually freed myself in beats to do more stuff with the camera that I hadn't done before, and I, I put those impediments in place on purpose because I didn't want to rely on them as a crutch. Mm-hmm. I, I saw in the, in the early 2000s and late 90s a lot of overuse and stylization in place of actual content. And I think that was definitely influenced by the music video and commercial world, uh, moving into the cinema world. Mm-hmm. But um, to me, I was reacting against it, and I was I was reaching more, in, at least in terms of my inspiration, to earlier films from the '70s and earlier. Uh, so now that I've kind of done a few projects that way, I'm allowing myself to kind of use those tools when I when I need them, and then start working on new things. But as as a diversity is not necessarily like. A, a strategy by any means. Mm-hmm. There, was no, there was no grand plan. I, I wasn't like Tarantino. That uh, is it. True Tarantino like said like I want to do these kind of films, and then yeah. he's out to do them. Yeah. Like I wish I had that much foresight. Like I'm just kind of like just finding my way. Yeah. So. Now you worked on, or you had the idea for this project, and you've been you've been thinking about it, trying to develop it for like the last over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the process of the the subtle changes you you took from the the, the novel. In order to kind of like add a little more texture to the the character that Idris plays, the commandant. Mm, for Idris in particular, yeah, because in the novel you don't actually know much about the commandant. You don't know um, what the agenda of the battalion is. You don't know where they're going. It feels very uh, something. It's, it's more Kurtzian, you know, like it's just in the middle of nowhere and bad things are happening. Um, and he kind of feels like he's acting on his own. And I, I, in doing my research about these wars, no one acts on their own. Everyone is a, a cog in a much larger machine. So it's important to me to, to that he not be acting on his own 100%, that there be some element of agenda that he's having to follow as well so the shit goes down. Mm-hmm. You know, He's told to do, so he tells people to do, and that they tell people to do, and you're somewhere in the middle of it. But so, somehow this, to me, feels more real. And then also a little more complex. Um, because it gives him an ability then to also work against what he's being told to do. And that gives him something to do with an actor, too. Um, so we, we uh, invented the Dada Goodblood character so that we could have him, you know, disobey somebody mm-hmm. and, uh, and move towards an ending that, that the book had, which was eventually they end up in these trenches and you don't know why they're in there and you don't know what they're doing. This gave us something that actually, like, you know, an actual plot mechanism to move that direction, and then from a character perspective, um, it it allowed him to also break his own rules, and that's part of the reason why mm-hmm. Og was able to see who who he is, or for you know, all the faults that he really has. Uh, Abraham, uh, what was your favorite part of of shooting this movie? Like, what was your what was the thing that you loved the most about it? Uh, one of the things we were shooting in the jungle, but we are not in deep of the jungle life. And we were going into a village to kill the people inside the village. So I was the first person leading them. So I was like the commander telling them to come out from the bush. Was it like working uh, alongside someone like Idris Elba? Had, did you you know Idris Elba before the movie? No, I've watched his movie before, but I don't know his name. Mm-hmm. How was he? Why was it working with him on set? Mm-hmm. At first, it was hard for me to work with him. I was shy of him. Mm-hmm. But I just sometimes he plays football. With us on set. Oh, really? Yeah, so it became normal for me to work with him. That's cool, man. 
Well, you, you know, I always talk about film being a director's medium. Um, who, I guess, ha I guess I'm trying to figure out who gets the credit when a director consistently draws wonderful performances from a group of actors. Is it the actors doing what the actors are supposed to do, you know, hitting their marks, doing their job, or is that credit that that should go to you? Because I'm I'm thinking about Sinombre. I love the. I can't even remember. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The the lead actors that starred in that, but I, I, I remember how powerful that film was. Of course, you've got the work of what you've done with True Detective. He talked about Jane Eyre. Uh, both um, Abraham and Idris are great in this film. I think that's a consistent... Uh, it's consistent across all the platforms of films that you've done that you get great performances from your actors. It's a bit like coach and, and player, you know. It's like, is, does, does Jordan get the, the credit or does the coach get the credit? I mean, Jordan does his thing and the coach selected him, you know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, team selected him and the owner. But um, it's for me, it's just like it's just about assembling the right people and then let them do their thing. Uh, and sometimes that's also whether they're professional or non-professional. It's really just finding the person who could do their job the best, that so that my job becomes easier. You know, there's nothing worse than like trying to draw a performance out of somebody that can't deliver it. And I've been in situations like that, and I've actually had to swap people out. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard, but yeah. you got to do it for the, the good of the show, not just because you're being kind. But we got really lucky with Abraham because even you know the week before we start shooting, I was recovering from from malaria. You know, Abraham had done this sort of theater workshop with a bunch of other kids, and he tried some scenes out, but by no means was I 100% sure he could do everything yet, mm -hmm. but I had to, to take a gamble and, and you know, you know, see if he could do it. Hey, it paid off, man. You were really good, man. He is he is the Quavondine Wallace of this year's Oscar <laughs> race. I mean... Do <laughs> <laughs> you know who they're talking about? That girl from Beast of the Southern Wild. Another Beast movie. Oh, okay. Have you seen that movie yet? No. We'll have to show it to you. Yeah. Need to get both of y'all. Yeah. Now, you're 15 years old now, am I correct? Yeah. So you shot that movie when you were 14 years old? No, I was 13 shooting that movie. I became 14. We were okay. still shooting that movie, like, two days for us to finish shooting that movie, and I became 14. Yeah, the birthday. I think I think that's another part of the movie that really will will move audiences because he, he looks so innocent and so childlike, mm -hmm. having to endure what he's going through in the film. It's mm -hmm. very powerful. Yeah. Which 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 part of Abu's story do you think you most identify with? Uh, 
<laughs> now, I, I had a question. What is the the actor or the character who is his friend? Striker. Striker, right? Who has no lines in the film? Oh yeah, Striker. Yeah, I, I I thought that the relationship between Agu and Striker is actually another key part, portion of the film because, as you said, he's got the the new extended family he's dealing with, but he and Striker are kind of very close. Mm -hmm. So I think you know what what transpired in the film also that's also really powerful mm -hmm. how he has to deal with that. I was going to ask, did you get yeah? Did you get close? Like, did you become friends with a lot of other boys there? Because there does seem to be that sort of camaraderie between you and Striker yeah. in the film. Did, was it like that on set, too? Yeah, because, like, other boys from my club, we live in one hotel. Sometimes we get out in one room to sleep. Sometimes we got my room, like, we were sleeping in two, two, and I was having a big bed. So sometimes we played cards, mm -hmm. and all of us who fell asleep sleeping in one room. And <laughs> the next morning, everybody will go to his room. This is why you were always tired on set. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so I promise I'm not starting any trouble. I, just, I, I have to ask this question, though. You were part of season one of True Detective. Mm -hmm. Universally acclaimed. Everybody loved it. Mm -hmm. Season two, I'm sure you weren't watching because you were too busy probably making this movie, editing. Um, not as well received. Is there? Is there any... First of all, there's a two-part question. Is there any vindication there, for one? And secondly, <laughs> and secondly, it, are there any other stories uh, that can be told with the characters that McConaughey and Allison portrayed that would, do you actually can take that to the, to, to the big screen at some point? Are those two guys? Yeah. Um, well, the first one, no comment. <laughs> uh, That's why I said I'm not starting any trouble. Uh, the second one, um... I mean, they were so great together. You know, when you have two great characters, that's why TV, some of the great TV shows, they just keep going forever. You know, you can do, you can do whatever. And they, and they really inhabited those those parts, you know, while they were shooting. So could there be a movie version of that? Uh, There's definitely, as far as I know, nothing in the works. But me, as a, just as a participant, as a, as a, as a fan of them, um, I would love to see it. All right, yeah, man. You gotta wrap it up right there, man. I appreciate it, man. This has been great. Abraham's fantastic talking to you as well, man. Abraham, good job. <laughs> <laughs> now it's been great, you guys. Thanks, All right, thanks guys. I love that. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to start any trouble. You gotta ask that question. Uh, that was uh, Kerry Joji Fuganaga as well as Abraham Ata. Uh, our conversation. Uh, talking about the film Beast of No Nation. Uh, there were a couple of other small little trivia items that we didn't get an opportunity to cover during this interview. Uh, for people who are not familiar with Kerry Fuganaga, uh, he also started off as a video director back in the day. And he was one of the videos that he directed, of course, was by Destiny's Child. He directed the Survivor video. So if you ever go and watch, you know, I'm a Survivor, that carried Fuganaga's work very early on in the process. Um, also, for people who aren't familiar with his true detective lineage, uh, he and Nick Pizzolato, I think is how his name is pronounced, uh, basically worked hand-in-hand -hand on season one. Uh, Carrie was brought on to direct the entire first season while Nick wrote the screenplays. And reportedly, because, of course, he, he wouldn't answer the question, but reportedly there was a rift which led to him leaving, him being carried, 
and Nick taking over as the sole writer and director of season two. And again, I'm not starting any trouble, but you can go and Google it. Was not well received. I watched it. Um, I think it peaked halfway through the season uh, with it with that wonderfully illustrated shootout in Vinci. And then from there, it just sort of kind of went downhill, especially that season finale. Uh, left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, Abraham Matai, uh, who you heard in the interview, was 13 years old when he started filming this movie, uh, 14 years old now. I was really surprised, and, you know, um, I remember when we went through this process several years ago with Kobajane Wallace that, you know, at the time she was maybe eight or nine, and every time she did interviews or if you saw her on the red carpet, you would always see like her mother there, or I remember as far back as Ray, um, I forget the gentleman, the, the child's name, who played the young Ray Charles in that film. Everywhere you would see uh, him, you would see his mother. Well, I was surprised, and maybe it's because, A, he may be like a teenager now at 15 years old, but there was no, <laughs> there was nobody there to kind of like, other than his handlers and the, and the studio publicists and publicists from Netflix and from the film, that were kind of there with them. So I was a little surprised by that, um, that, you know, here's a young, a young man who's in America for the first time, uh, still, you know, a minor, and it's like, wow, really? All right. So because what, what we witnessed uh, several days ago will not be the last time that Abraham Atah is in the spotlight. I mean, this film, um, and, and we will review it next week, but this, let's just say that this is a movie that will be around and will be a prominent player uh, award season unless there are 10 or 11 more amazing movies than this one. <laughs> so, you know, it's always a process of wading through it and waiting and finding out what's there, what's not there. So, as I said, time will tell. But it was wonderful to talk to those guys. And also, ironically enough, Wilson Morales actually did call in from the New York uh, New York Comic Con, and we totally missed him. I was <laughs> I, I just sent him a note back. My apologies, my brother. I totally missed you. So uh, we will catch Wilson next week. Now coming up, uh, we're going to be doing film reviews in the next segment, and of course Travis Hopson, who participated in that interview, uh, will come on and he will uh, review Pan. Uh, both Travis and I will be in Middleburg in about two weeks for the third annual Middleburg Film Fest. Looking really forward to this festival. One of my favorite local festivals here in the DMV, or maybe an, out, an hour outside of D.C., but one of my favorite festivals to hit, man. I love the Middleburg Film Fest. Sheila Johnson, Susan Koch, and her team do an amazing job every year of procuring huge kind of Oscar caliber films, and they've done it every year since this festival has, uh, has launched, and this year seems to be no different. So we'll talk a little bit about that probably next week or the week after that when we're in Middleburg, but I'm going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back with more of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. Whatever goes around, comes around, every lifetime.
All right, welcome back to the show. It is 45 minutes after the hour, um, and as we do at this time every week on the show, it is now time for us to take you guys to the movie. Don't really make sense. 
Uh, and there's a lot of little things like that. And then you've got Garrett Hedlund as as a pre uh, pre Hook James Hook uh, back when he and Peter Pan are still friends. Rooney Mara as uh, as Tiger Lily, which was fairly controversial casting. A lot of people didn't like that because they say the role was whitewashed. Um, I agree, but she's actually pretty good in the film. But a lot of the real world stuff just doesn't really work. Like you have pixie dust, which has been changed from the magical stuff that makes people fly. It's been changed into this sort of drug that Hook is that not Hook, but a uh, Blackbeard snorts like cocaine. Which like that doesn't make like I, I don't understand why they would think that would be a a, a thing that people want to see, much less kids, which is what this movie is obviously gearing gearing at. So there's a lot of little things that don't work story-wise. You have the whole Destiny thing for Peter Pan, which doesn't really work. You don't really learn why he becomes the boy who refuses to grow up. The story doesn't work, but the visuals are beautiful. And I think that, you know, parents parents may not like it, but I think their kids will. So it's, it's kind of in the middle on this one for me. I, I can appreciate its visuals, the CGI technology, and, and Joe Wright's direction, but I don't necessarily like the story itself. Yeah, I, I read uh, online yesterday, a buddy of mine, Susan Wazena, uh, wrote a review for um, RogerEbert.com, and she said it was the meanest review that she had ever written. And what it sounds like, you're saying some of the same things, that he he experiments in this film sort of what Baz Luhrmann uh, may have done with Moulin Rouge, that there were some things that yeah. he kind of brought to it that made it work. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I actually mentioned Baz Luhrmann in my review as well. That that that's, that scene is just it just felt weird and kind of out of place. It gave Hugh Jackman a chance to sing a little bit, which is probably why they put those parts in there. You know, people tend to like it when Hugh Jackman you know sings, so maybe that's why they did it. But it does, it just doesn't work in the context of the entire film. It just doesn't. All right, man. So if you had the grade pan, man, what are you looking at as a grade? C C plus. Wow, you like that film a lot more than because I've been reading some some comments a lot. I haven't read any full like reviews. That. People are killing it, man. Like, <laughs> like I don't think it deserves to be killed. Like I said, the visuals are are beautiful, and I think there's an audience that is going to like it. They're they're probably younger audiences, but it's not an outright disaster that some people are painting it out to be. At least I don't think it is. It's too beautiful for that. It does have a certain adventurous spirit to it that is that is kind of fun. But overall, it's it's disappointing. It's 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 one of Joe Wright's more disappointing efforts. All right, now Travis, before we let you go, man, tell people where they can follow you and read your content at uh, PunchDrunkCritics.com, where I'm posting every day. Examiner.com as well, um, and of course. Uh, WETA around town with you most of the time, and uh, WBAL morning news on Thursday mornings. That's a dang shame, man. I could have done all of that myself, man. You was like hesitant, like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can talk about the wrestling stuff I do too. You want to talk about that? All right, for daily DDT. If you want to, if you want to uh, follow my wrestling news as well. Uh, nobody wants to follow your wrestling news over here, bro. <laughs> Apparently they do because I, I get a lot. I get a lot of comments on my wrestling stuff. <laughs> Whatever, man. All right, bro. I'm gonna get up with you. Am I gonna see you later tonight for anything? I will be there tonight for truth. 
which is a movie right. I am really looking forward to. All right. Well, I will. You know, you and I will connect tonight, and I've got to go see Pan, unfortunately, because I didn't see it earlier. So I've got a double feature tonight. Oh, enjoy, man. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man, for that. <laughs> All right. I'll All see you later. Right. You will, man. You take care, man. All right. You too. All right. All right, and of course, that is none other than Travis Hobson for Punch Your Critic and a guy who I am professionally linked to, so he and I kind of go back and forth. Now, let's move on with the other two films that are opening this week, and uh, up next is Free Hell. And, of course, Free Hell is uh, an American drama directed by Peter Solette, written by Ron Nysminer, and the film stars Julianne Moore, Ellen Page, Steve Carell, and Michael Shannon, um, and it is based on the 2007 documentary short film of the same name about police officer Laurel Hester's fight against the Ocean County, New Jersey Board of Chosen Freeholders to allow her pension benefits to be transferred to her domestic partner after being diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, Miley Cyrus also contributes a song to the film called Hands of Love, which possibly might show up as a potential Best Original Oscar Song nominee. You know, at this point in the year, every time anything of note takes place, I'm just noting I'm just noting it for you because it may come up again. But before I go into my review, here's a clip from Free Hell. Hey, are you, you leaving? Oh, yeah, all kinds of work to do. It's a long drive home. Where's that? Ocean County, New Jersey. Oh, damn. You drove all the way out here to play volleyball and you don't even like it? Every now and then, I think she'd go out and try to meet someone. Yeah. And they don't have girls in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, it's not that. Um, it, people know me back home. It's hard to go out and have privacy. I should go. Okay. Can I have your number? Yes, and that was the start of the courtship between uh, both these young ladies, um, uh, Laurel Heston, Hester, excuse me, played by Moore, and Stacey Andre, played by Ellen Page. And this is a film, you know, as, as, I was, as you heard me say earlier in the interview with, um, with uh, Carrie Fuganaga, that when you reach October, it's what I call the adult serious season, where the films get a little darker, they get a little grittier. And, of course, this is a film that takes place probably a decade ago, uh, where it starts in the, in the 90s and kind of culminates around 2005 uh, with the fight to have marriage equality in the state of New Jersey. Um, Julianne Moore, of course, plays um, Hester, who is probably much older, but I say much older, maybe 10, 15 years older than Andre was. And, of course, it reflects in the casting. Um, this is a film that, on the surface, just feels to me like there's an element that's missing, that, like, it should have been a lot stronger. The point should have been driven home a lot firmer than kind of what the filmmakers kind of, like, lay out in this film. And I think it starts, honestly, with the story. Um, the way Julianne Moore plays the character, and it may have been the actual situation, is that uh, Hester was a 19-year was uh, member of the force, or maybe 20-year member of the force, uh, who hid her, her, um, 
hid her um, her ability to be gay or, or hid the fact that she was gay from her superiors because she had a dream that she wanted to make lieutenant or captain and, and, and advance up through the ranks. And, you know, there are scenes that play out that, you know, under this guise that they're coworkers that feel like they've been led on, who are interested in her, who don't understand her or know her sexual orientation. Uh, she's scared, you know, that it, once it's discovered that it will kind of stall the career out. Um, and there is, you know, the, the, the aspect of bigotry that plays itself out, you know, um, in the film as well. Um, Steve Carell, I thought, was actually really good. It's kind of like the gay activist who gets a hold of her case after the freeholders initially deny her benefit and kind of galvanizes the movement to to kind of get people to stand up and try to, to get them to reverse their decision. As I said, I just think it's a good movie. It has, it has the potential to be a really great movie that could have really gripped your heart and really kind of been the sort of movie that would have been a tearjerker. It just feels to me, like I said, that there's, there's something, and I can't put my finger on it. It's, it's sometimes in the execution of a story, sometimes you lose a movie, you know, in the writing. Sometimes you lose it in the editing. You know, the decisions that a filmmaker makes that, that completes the film. But somewhere along the line, they lost this movie. Um, I still think it's a good movie. Um, I would probably give it like a C plus. Yeah, C-plus would be fair for this movie, but it could have moved into B territory if it was either edited correctly or executed correctly, and neither are the, not, neither of these are the facts, but if this is a story that piques your interest, Julianne Moore and Ellen Page are fantastic actors. Uh, Michael Shannon, who recently was in 99 Homes, he's having a really good fall uh, with the role that he's choosing as well, who plays Hester's partner in this film. Um, I would recommend it for that. But as I said, it is not a great movie. I just think it's a very good one. Well, actually, not even very good. I just think it's good. All right? Now I'm going to move on to our final movie. And, of course, this is the documentary, He Named Me Malala. And this is uh, a film from David Guggenheim. If, if you've heard that name before, maybe you, you remember An Inconvenient Truth, Waiting for Superman. Um, so his films, you know, he is a very celebrated documentary filmmaker. And in this film, he, he uh, turns his lens toward young Pakistani female activist and Nobel Peace Prize laureate Malala Yousafzai, who was targeted by the Taliban gunman, shot in the head and left wounded. Uh, she was targeted for speaking for girls' education in her region of Swat Valley in Pakistan, and the title refers to the Agadi folk hero Malala Manawa, of whom her father named her. And before I go into this film, of course, you know the drill. Here's a clip from He Named Me Malala. When she was very small, many friends used to come to our home. We used to talk about politics, we used to talk about the basic rights. And she used to sit with us. When I was young, I used to listen to him. Like, what is he saying, how he talks? We, we became dependent on each other. Like, one soul in two different bodies. All right, of course, that talks, that's her father and the relationship between 
Um, Malala and her father is really central to this story. Um, of all the trials and tribulations she goes through, her father seems to always be there to have her back. Um, one of the things that you always hear, you know, you, you listen to the show long enough, you know, these are reviews, but they're also insights into how I see and perceive films by virtue of just kind of on-the-fly processing, you know, what I'm watching, first on what I know about the business, also mixed in with other films that are similar to the film that I'm discussing. And having said that, um, documentary films are really interesting to me because, as, 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 I, as I like to say, it's really hard to mess up a documentary film. And what I mean by that is if you pick a subject that is intriguing, and then you just become a storyteller because it's not a movie. You're culling together, like, clips, interviews, audio, you know, pieces in order to kind of present kind of a one-sided view or your one singular perspective of, of whatever it is that you're documenting. So, you know, if you, like, earlier this year, I've had a chance to see several really interesting documentaries, you know, uh, The Black Panthers, The Vanguard of the Revolution. Uh, what happened, Miss Simone, where you have stories that are kind of either centered around a cause or a person that I think really, really work well. And He Named Me Malala is another one uh, that, that sort of works in that way. Um, of course, it's all chronological, and, of course, it starts with her, you know, not us watching or seeing her being shot, but her kind of laying up in ICU after taking a bullet to the head. Um, as I said, for, from the Taliban for, who targeted her for standing up for women's rights. And instead of that, that act pushing her to the background and kind of silencing her, it almost was used as fuel to galvanize her and her cause. And uh, Davis Guggenheim, who's really, really good at telling these, these stories and kind of editing them and piecing them together and kind of using the music in order to drive the narrative, uh, delivers another solid job here. Uh, Malala is uh, is an amazing person, and it's not just the fact that she won the Nobel Peace Prize or that she had an opportunity to meet the Pope or to meet Queen Elizabeth and some of the other luminaries, her trips here through the United States, et cetera. But it's the quiet moments that, you know, you see in the film with her and her two brothers or her and her mother and, you know, kind of talking about her family life in Pakistan. I'm also talking about the girls who were with her the day that she got shot, how she never forgot them, acknowledges them, and also kind of promotes their cause along with their own. Um, while I wouldn't, I mean, looking at, at Guggenheim's kind of, of, of filmography, you know, my favorite Guggenheim film, I loved Waiting for Superman because that was about, you know, education and charter schools and et cetera, and inconvenient truth. I think these are strong. But as a singular film that focuses on an individual, it's probably his first and probably his best uh, story as it relates to that. This film right here is very, very powerful. Um, you know, I, 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 when I say very powerful, looking at it on a, on a score scale, I'm talking B minus perhaps as much as a B on He Named Me Malala. I think that she's an intriguing young woman, and I look forward to finding out what her journey, where her journey will end up. Will she be a politician in Pakistan? Will she continue to be an activist? Um, whatever her journey is going to be, she has a solid foundation 
and David Guggenheim has really captured a lot of that in this film. Now, also in theaters this week, as I said, we uh, uh, the walk is going wide this week. We reviewed the walk last week. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, you can go back through our archives or right here at blogtalkradio.com forward slash film Gordon to check it out because um, we don't want to leave you hanging. Um, I'm about to take this take us down this week, but before we get out of here, I want to thank Travis Hobson. I also want to thank Wilson Morales, who actually called in and we didn't get him on the show, as well as Carrie Juji Fuganaga and Abraham Atah. Um, and as I tell you guys, in closing, every week, and this week I got it, please see something good at the movies. Until next week, I'm Tim Gordon, and we're out. You guys take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.